0: Hey, it's Tom with Forging Ahead, and I have my friend Michelle with me today. Michelle, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself, however you like to be introduced?
1: Yeah, so thanks, Tom. I'm, um, I'm Michelle Karazas. I am the co-founder and CEO of a company called Host Events. Um, we're really changing the game in the corporate event space. So I'm really excited to share a little bit about what we've done, where we're going, and kind of how we got here
0: yeah tell me um give me a little bit of like your personal story and and how you ended up here
1: yes, so crazy deep rooted question, but I'm gonna start with uh, you know um where I came from, how I grew up because I think that really lends itself to um kind of my story and then you know how i I got to to where I am today, and I think a little bit about also where I'm going so I I was born in Bolivia and I grew up overseas my whole life. So, um, you know, raised in West Africa and Ghana. And um, we moved about every three years of my life. Um, My mom's the director of the Peace Corps for Botswana now. And so, uh, always third world, underdeveloped countries. And my dad is an HIV AIDS specialist, specifically in pregnant women that um, are HIV AIDS positive stopping the transmission of AIDS to a mother, to a, from a mother to a newborn. So, you know, I always, um, had the privilege of going to these different, uh, cultures and learning from different people and different walks of life. And when I went, um, when I was thinking about going to college, my mom said, you know, really should go live in the States to get acclimated to the culture. And I found myself at Syracuse university and I did all my four years there. Um, I was originally a bio major graduated with, uh, marketing and entrepreneurship. Uh, naturally, I think my personality was just screaming business. That's what all my professors said. They were like, mm-hmm. do not come into orgo class anymore and go into the business school. And so, um, graduated from Syracuse and then took a full-time job in sales in Boston and was bartending nights and weekends. And, um, Yeah, I think uh, the story of Host will evolve from there. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but uh, that's a little bit about me and kind of where I came from.
0: Um, What type of selling have you done, Michelle, before Host?
1: So specifically, I was on the biopharma healthcare IT side. So I I had come from a management consulting firm called Divergent based out of Norfolk, Virginia, and I was covering the territory for Boston and New York which um you know and the healthcare industry is is a great territory good and, batch yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so i was fortunate and um i was surrounded by obviously some of the top healthcare organizations and so i so- sold management uh consulting services for large epic implementation services cerner implementation services and so uh we did everything pre during and post go live so learned a lot
0: there's um Like rather than race ahead, I would love to try to circle back to, um, I didn't know that much about your folks. Um, it's really amazing, uh, the journey that you've been on since you were a kid. How did mom and dad, like, how did the way that they are get into who you are and like, how does that show up every day?
1: So that's a great question. Um, you know, I think I think I'm very fortunate in a lot of ways that I was able to take out certain aspects of the things that I learned from my parents. I mean, my parents are definitely uh, people that like to give back. They're very selfless. And um, funny enough, I'm like, uh, I like to be a little hybrid of both. I'm very money hungry. I'm very driven personally, professionally. Um, You know, I have a very strong personality And so, but I also have this, this place in my heart, you know, I, I was a translator for my dad um, in a lot of these countries because I spoke, I speak Spanish fluently. And so, you know, I had the, the privilege of seeing, you know, um, individuals in countries that, you know, maybe the average Joe in America just didn't get to see. And so it gave me a new perspective. I was always the one in the classroom that just thought differently. I was the soccer player on the field that just played differently. I was the colleague in the office that just, you know, thought of things differently. And I really think that that lends to, you know, the opportunity that my parents gave me, um, you know, being able to live overseas, uh, see a different perspective, not take everything so seriously in life, like life is short and we have a great life, um, you know, not, not kind of harp on the small things. So I'm fortunate. I'm very fortunate because I think that all of those things have given me, uh, they're like the small recipes um, and the small parts of the recipe that kind of have given me uh, the opportunity to where I am. That's really what I believe.
0: Can you, um, what were a couple favorite places that you lived growing up?
1: Ghana. So I loved Ghana. Um, I I loved Ghana because everyone's happy. And these are people that probably have nothing. I mean, I was playing soccer in Ghana with rocks um, in dirt. And everyone was always smiling. And these are people that you know, because they didn't know about having a lot, they made the best with very little. And I learned so much, I, I mean, I actually learned English in Ghana. My nannies, uh, they taught me English and I spoke pidgin English when I came to the States and definitely had to work on that a little bit. But um, I just love the energy. I love the willingness and the eagerness to learn. They're very curious people there. And so um, I just really enjoyed my time there. And when people ask, you know, where, did, you know, where do you think you learned some of the most um, influential things that really defined you? And I, I really think it's Ghana. I had a lot happen in Ghana uh, that, that kind of, you know, just resonates with me.
0: I love it. Did you always know that you were gonna start something, start your own business?
1: I think I had kind of this gut instinct. Um, I know growing up, um, I had one of my parents' friends, they would said, that girl is going to be a CEO, and we're all going to be working for her. Um, so there was always that kind of that plug in my ear. But I definitely wasn't looking to start a business. Now I did take marketing and entrepreneurship as majors at Syracuse, and I did work for some startups, um, that, of which you know of. You know, in my, during my internship programs, coming back for the summers. So I had this bug in this field, but I was never saying like, "Hey, I need to start a business tomorrow." And um, it, it really the opportunity at host kind of fell on my lap.
0: Let's talk about it. How did it happen?
1: So, funny enough, as I mentioned, I had this full time job in sales and I was bartending nights and weekends. And I was bartending to really pay off my student loans. That was the whole mindset behind bartending. When do I spend money? on the weekends, when can I make more money on the weekends? And so I had this very aggressive uh, two-year timeline where I said, two years graduating from Syracuse, I'm going to pay off my student loans and I'm really going to close this chapter of my life so that I can kind of move on. And so I bartended Thursday nights, Friday nights, Saturday nights, and then Sunday brunches and uh while bartending i obviously got to meet some really great people one of which was one of my regulars and she had come in and said hey i heard you paid off your student loans and you gave your notice i'm so excited for you congratulations but i would love to bring your energy into my office for a corporate happy hour and so i said you know i I really appreciate that but you know I'm kind of done with the bartending game and uh, I've now made all the money that I was looking to hope to make out of this and she looked at me and she said I'll pay you $200 an hour and I said great I'll be there <laughs> so I showed up to this corporate happy hour not knowing what to expect and sure enough uh, five other women that were planning in-office events were in need of a bartender for their corporate event So long story short, everyone's now starts contacting me for these corporate events in Boston, offering me ridiculous amounts of money. And I started to build an Excel spreadsheet with, you know, other people that I had met at the bar that had really great energy that, you know, would probably fit in well and kind of the the corporate field and the, the corporate setting. And long story short, you know, I was now, you know, in quote unquote, staffing, the bartenders from the bar for these corporate events through this Excel spreadsheet and emails. And so that kind of slowly turned into what hosts today, which is really a tech-enabled platform which allows corporate companies to easily book certified insured bartenders that we vetted and selected to really help them kind of create community within the workplace. So, um, yeah, that's the, that's the story.
0: How did you start to bridge the gap from Excel spreadsheet, phone calls, um, emails to, uh, incorporating and like professionalizing an actual business. Like what was that like?
1: Yeah. So I've always been of the mindset, let your customers dictate what you are and learn from your customers and let the customers let it become so painful that you need to build something to take on the new customers. Right. So, um, really I, I I said, well, Excel is free, right? Email free. And until I learned that there's a true business here, now I was doing a ton of market research and I was really interviewing all of these customers as to why it was difficult to even find, uh, you know, a, a bartender and what was the insurance aspect. So, um, you know that slowly evolved, and when it, when it, when I heard from the, the potential customer that it was really a pain point, and that the consistencies across the board um, were so consistent from person to person, organization to organization, that's when I truly felt like, hey, there's a there's some type of business here. And I learned from them what what will make it easier, and then I took those things that would make it easier, and I slowly started to build a business around that. And then, you know, then we incorporated, obviously, we were an LLC, and we transferred to a corporation. But then we started to build a a little bit of a platform that would be able to take the load and, you know, not make us have to make phone calls to the bartenders and do uh, the whole shebang, but kind of let it work, work for us. Um, So I think, you know, every day, we're still evolving. Um, I, I think the most important thing is, the customer, and we follow up with every single customer after every single event to learn what they like, what they didn't like, what they would like to improve, what was their experience like, did we say what we did we do what we say we did we do what we said we were going to do, and letting the business continue to dictate itself by the customers and building based on what the customers want.
0: It seems pretty logical, right? <laughs> the uh, who else is on the team, Michelle?
1: Yeah. So my co-founder, Brian, um, he's um, he's awesome. He's he's super great. Him and I went to Syracuse together. And then Amy, who actually is um, she's on boards all of our bartenders. Um, so she does all of the vetting, selecting, onboarding, retention. She really helps create a community for them to be a part of the team. Then um, we actually have uh, Evan, who's one of our full-time sales reps. We have someone selling in Chicago as well, and then um, we've been we've been working with uh, the former co-founder of Paint Night. He's kind of joined our team as well and helping us grow a little bit and think about scaling a business um, from city to city. So it's a it's an exciting team and. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very grateful because I'm really learning from them. And that's one of the beauties of what I do is I just empower the the people around me and I learn from them every single day and we really have fun doing it. And that's, that's kind of what makes it fun.
0: How do you think about, um, I guess I want to go, I want to talk about like the city to city thing, but I guess I want to backtrack and hear a little bit more about, Um, like when I do my research, I use LinkedIn pretty heavily and I think it says host events is, has been around for a year and eight months. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Yep.
0: So what is that? What's it been like? Like, what has the ride been like? I know that, um, you guys raised some financing really recently as well. So like, I guess pick a spot in, the journey of host and tell me a little bit how it's felt to to like go down the path of being a really young company but like really on to something right
1: yeah so i love that question for a lot of reasons um, you know the first i would say the first year in a couple months i myself and brian we were doing this part time so we had a full time job and it became to the point where we were balancing both our passion, our customers that were coming in, people that were finding out about us and managing that, you know, nights and weekends while having a full-time job and dedicating what was putting bread and butter on the table for us. Right? So I think the evolution of those year and eight months are, are so different. And so the, the beginning was, what do I need to do to prepare myself to make this leap of faith? And while I am a very uh, risky person, there are certain things that allow my, to, me to make my risky decisions. And so I needed certain things in place. I needed to be debt free, right? I needed to have saved a certain amount of money to to be able to, with confidence, make this leap of faith. And so in the beginning, it was balancing both, right? Balancing my full-time job. With the startup and doing right by both customers, and then it was, it, then it became of the mindset. Now, how do I take this on full time? Not making a full, you know, a, a, a wonderful paycheck, going to no paycheck, and um, I think that leap, is probably where I would hone in on because i had to make a lot of sacrifices and the sacrifices were lifestyle sacrifices right you know i was here i was a girl with no debt but a wonderful job in sales that you know did really well in sales and had a 2018 BMW, had never had to think about going out on a night, you know, like money wasn't ever something that I had thought about or food on the table was never something I thought about. And, you know, now I'm having to, and a very money hungry kind of personality. And here I am going to sell my 2018 BMW, you know, join a family plan for my cell phone bill, cancel all my subscriptions uh, massages and and you know just even my uh, my spotify account I mean those were the sacrifices that I knew that I needed to make financially to be able to want to sustain um, kind of taking this leap and so I think the sacrifices component you know everyone's like oh it's so great like you have your own business and you're your own founder and it's like Yeah, but I I had to make a lot of sacrifices in my life to be there. And it it looks all beautiful um, on the outside, but making those changes are hard, especially when you're so used to them. Um, But I've been fortunate enough that, you know, I was in a good position to do it. I I don't have kids and I don't have a family and all of the the decisions I was really weighing on on me. And my co founder. And I just had the utmost faith in us. And so uh, the sacrifices outweighed um, kind of the future of where we're going.
0: I'm so glad you went there. That is, there's such a strong lesson there, even for just starting a business. Like, I think that when people read things and watch things and hear about people like burning the ships and starting a business and, Um, to hear how logical you were about adjusting your spend and like being really thoughtful around what do I actually need to do to be able to make this transition and keeping your full-time job. And at the same time, you really were like working to pull host up to a level To be able to make that jump less painful, I'm so psyched you went there. I I, that wasn't where I expected you to go, but um, I'm not surprised. Like the way that you think, that's just so sharp. And I think that that's a good lesson for people to hear. Like you don't need to start by going out and raising a bunch of money and doing nothing but working on this business. It's like it can be done differently. I love that.
1: Uh, oh, absolutely! And if I were to go back, I would do it the same way. I think, I think a lot of things around that topic, and I could probably talk hours about it. But go ahead. Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think that that, that aspect specifically is—you know—people think they need to raise the money, and I have such um, I have such an appreciation for having bootstrapped it for a long time. The reason being is you wear every hat and you learn so much about the business and how can you really start to manage someone in a role that you've never been in yourself, right? And how can you have appreciation for the people that you're going to be bringing on and what it's really going to require and what job description really will entail if you haven't been there yourself, right? And when you bootstrap things, you're you're scrappy and you kind of take on every single role, you know, like... I'm not the best graphic designer, but like, Hey, I needed to make it happen. Right. And then I knew what I was looking for a little bit in terms of the graphic designer. And so they had also an appreciation of me having an idea of what we wanted. And you know, uh, when you're, when you don't have all the money to spend, you figure it out in ways that you probably wouldn't if the money was readily available. Right. And so it it teaches you such valuable lessons I think and you know the business decision to raise money was truly a business decision it wasn't because hey we need money to survive or you know we need money you know because we want to buy this new cool feature and build our platform like x y and z it was truly hey we want to be here in five years and 20 years and so on like we need to raise money in order to achieve those goals. And so, um, yeah, I think I think that unfortunately there's this whole stipulation around having to raise money and that money dictates success, which it really doesn't in my opinion. It actually is kind of the opposite, um, because you're diluting yourself and there's more cooks in the kitchen and it becomes a totally different business and a different pace. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think that not every leap has to be like, oh, I had to live in a basement and I, you know, you can get to a point where you're like, Hey, this is when I can make the leap and it's gotta make sense. Um, also we wanted to know we had customers. We wanted to know there's a product market fit before we make that leap, right? Like we don't want to disappoint ourselves, but we also don't want to disappoint the people that are are involved in this. So, um, I think that if I were to go back, I would have done it the exact same way because, you know, I have no regrets about anything and I'm a type of person that, and I think Brian, my co-founder is very similar. We will shine with confidence of things and not everything has to be figured out, but we had the confidence that, Hey, we're going to be okay. Like we did this the right way that really aligned with us both personally and professionally at a time where it made sense and our customers needed us more than ever. So, you know, we, we come to work with confidence every day, not like, Hey, I'm eating ramen noodles, you know? Um, so yeah, I I guess, like I said, I, I feel very passionate about the topic and I could really talk about it forever. Um, but, uh, it doesn't need to be the same story of, of, you know, I had to raise capital or I wasn't going to make it, or I needed to quit my job tomorrow to start my business. Like, no, it's, it can be different.
0: I love that. Um, two questions I want to talk about. Eventually I want to talk about what it finally felt like to make the transition to full time. But before that, I, I think somewhat of a quicker question is, does it make it easier to go out and seek some fundraising after like, is the story better once you have customers who are already paying your bills and you go out to, to raise?
1: 100%. Um, I think that especially at our, yeah, no, I mean, it's not a stupid question and, You know um i actually get some founders that that you know do reach out to me and they'll be telling me all about their business and all these things that they're building and i'm like oh awesome like how many customers do you have and they don't have a customer and i i really it it, it, you know not that i have all the answers and that i've done everything right but i'm like wow like whoo pump the brakes because we've actually learned so much from our customers that we would never build all our tech and spend all the money on things that we didn't know that we actually learned from our customers. So I think that customers and cash is king, And that's why it truly is a saying. It's not a saying because of anything more than it's true. You know, um, if you don't have a customer, you really don't have a product.
0: So we had a quick, quick glitch there, but let's try to get right back into the flow. You had. And sorry for the, uh, the technical difficulty, but the,
1: that's why you the ability to go <laughs>
0: the ability to go out and and raise and to tell your story after already bootstrapping your way to having a bunch of customers like what's that experience like
1: Yeah. So, you know, we were looking for angel investors as well. So right. Angel investors are looking and now every angel investor is so different. um, And that's what makes them unique. But they're truly looking for, you know, the founders. They're looking at the founders. Uh, They're really looking at the team. That's very important to them. And one of the things that I think really resonated with, um, I think a majority of our investors was truly, you know, they like the team. They like what we were doing, but they like that there was a there was a buyer and that, you know, there were sales. And while ideas can be sometimes so great, um, if no one's buying it, it, doesn't, it really doesn't mean anything. And so it's really difficult to see the future when you don't know what, what you're building for. And so I definitely think no matter what you're doing, if you can get customers first, it's absolutely the way to go. And don't worry about anything else because nothing else matters until you sell. Uh, and I think that's probably just me wearing the, the sales hat but it's really, really important for the business, um, the brand. I mean, we learn so much about our brand and where we're going and what our voice is and what we're building around by evaluating, you know, here's our top 10 customers last year. This is the demographic that they're in. These are their types of budgets. This is what they like. This is why they use us. This is what they said. And I think, when you build the business for the customer and, and not for your idea, um, you know, who, who would say no to investing? Right. <laughs> um, but I think also the approach to investing that that we took um, was was pretty unique and uh, one that I always advise. And again, I don't have all the answers, but um, we were able to close around. So uh, we're fortunate.
0: So um from like a a scaling perspective did you start Boston first and then how do you think about adding new cities
1: Yeah so we started Boston all through word of mouth again no marketing dollars super scrappy um you know being the CEO, you got to put your ego aside. I'm the one that's actually doing the selling. Like I walk into corporate companies, I walk into buildings, I walk into office managers and say, what are you currently doing to host your events? You know, who, you know, what are you doing about alcohol in the office setting? Do you have insurance? Right. And so I think that 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 it it does really require you to also be out in the field and um, be the one selling being the face being the the voice behind it and and then taking that as a learning um, for obviously for your product so um, I forget what the question exactly was
0: yeah it was just That's the Boston piece that's dead on. And then um, just how you think about like adding the next city.
1: Yeah. So um, it was all through word of mouth in 2019. And then we said, okay, now we've gotten over 600 customers to buy through us just through our network and just through going out and hitting the pavement and spending no marketing dollars. And so we said, okay, well, if we were able to accomplish that um, in that regard, you know, what? what did we learn and how can we build the kind of the playbook to open up those other cities? And organically we had, you know, through word of mouth in DC and New York, events pop up, of which we took, because our insurance first does uh, cover both of those cities, but also to to learn from them. What's the logistics like? Do the bartenders like to make the same amount? How difficult is it to attract the bartenders there? Are they expecting the same type of uh, events? What are the events like? Are they different? Do they require a different level of service, a different personality? So we what I call beta tested those cities through word of mouth as well. And um, as we, we continue to develop the playbook every single day, the things that we've learned, the things that we're learning, and the things that our customers eventually want. And so our playbook, um, it, it doesn't really vary from city to city, but there sometimes is a a messaging component to um, the audience, right? You know, New York is just a different beast than uh, Seattle. And New York's a different beast than Miami and, you know, D.C. and Chicago. I mean, we learn so much from Chicago. The bartenders are truly love to own their craft and they're just so unique in their own sense. And they, they really resonate with this, uh, with the experience side. So um, we've been beta testing the cities that we want to go into to learn from them. And uh, we won't push our marketing dollars into those cities until we feel that we're confident enough to roll out that playbook in those cities.
0: You've mentioned um, insurance a couple times and just thinking about like two questions again would be what makes you guys unique. And then I'd love to hear on like the sales side, like what objections do you hear um, or what resistance do you get at first?
1: Yeah. So I'll take the the unique question first. Um, you know, when you think about hosts, this is the best picture I like to paint. There's a bucket of beer then there's host and there's catering services. Okay. So we're, we play in the, like the do it yourself type, um, field. So we're not the bucket of beer without insurance. That's, you know, just put a bucket of beer on the on the counter and everyone can kind of come up and grab something. Um, we aren't the full scale catering. We're not going to bring, you know, tablecloths and flowers and decorate everything. And we're not going to come in a tie and a suit and, you know, um, we're and provides a certain level of experience. We're really looking on like, hey, how can we hone in on the experience side of it um, while also taking the pressure off of the client? to not stress about the insurance. So we're really like, hey, if you're ordering easy cater or you're ordering, um, you know, some pizzas in a box, but you want to elevate the occasion with a really awesome uh, bartender that's got a winning personality that's, you know, charismatic, outgoing, brings people together, and you're looking to really create this community in the office space Um, that's where we play. And we really feel as though our bartenders help elevate that occasion, but also create that community. You know, what a better way. um, It's really interesting because the demographic that we service is really these tech companies and biotech companies and luxury buildings. That's like truly where we play, right? And 60% of the demographic is now made up of millennials in those industries specifically you look at these you know uh, high luxury buildings millennials you know you look at the tech companies a lot of millennials and so you know millennials are looking for experiences now and that's what differentiates you know, one company attracting talent from another and they want to be part of the experience where that they can, you know, um, get to know their CEO over a beer in the four walls that they're driving towards the same mission. They're better bought in by getting to know the person that sits in the cubicle next to them. And, you know, people want to do that. Like, why do you go to a bar to get to know people, to talk, to mingle? So we want to create that you mingle, we mix experience in the office. Where the chip is off your shoulder, it's just like when in sales, so they say, break bread with the guy, get him out of the office or the gal, and get to know them in a different sense. And that's that's really the experience that our bartenders strive to create um, for corporate companies so that the engineering team can get to know the marketing team. You know, we're we're in, we're in a world where we're so connected, but we're so disconnected. It's like we use Slack to communicate everything or an email to communicate everything, but we... We work two cubicles down from each other. We don't even know uh, if you're married, engaged, you know, uh, you know, living on the street or have an apartment. Um, and so we're trying to really help companies embrace that experience um, through a social gathering. And that's what makes us unique. Um, you know, we're not your grandfather in a three-piece suit that can't smile from a catering company. And we're not a bucket of beer that doesn't have insurance or, and doesn't provide an experience.
0: I love that positioning. I think that you should lean into that story. It's really good. (laughs) Um, What about the resistance question? So you talk to an office manager who's hesitant, like what is on his or her mind um, that you kind of have to either overcome or help them get comfortable with?
1: Yeah. So it's challenging because every organization is so different. Um, I think some of the resistance that, that we get is, there's education to what we're doing, right? We're not the typical one side or the other that people are used to, and so you, it, it's an education sale. First, I'm educating you on just what I shared, and then I'm, you know, and then you're maybe open or not open to the opportunity, right? Um, and I think that people want to work with people that they kind of like and they can resonate with. And so, you know, we're a new brand that, I think the resistance is like, Hey, this is a new brand. I don't know it. Right. And that's why referrals for us are, are really key. You know, um, so I think those are some of the hesitations. They don't understand all the regulations in the city that they they either um, they live in and, and obviously that their organization is around alcohol. And so that's where they ask a lot of questions, you know do you need a permit? What's the permit like? What's the licensing like? What's the insurance like? What does it cover? What doesn't it cover? Can you customize it to being additionally insured for the building? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, there's so many questions because there's this very gray area where people don't understand what they don't know. And it's a lot of the hesitation as to why some companies allow, you know, alcohol in the office setting versus others don't. And, you know, no corporation wants to hold liquor liability insurance for their company, one, because it's crazy expensive, but two, it's like, well, why would we have liquor liability insurance when we sell this tech platform? You know? Um, So that's like really where we come in and we truly want to create an experience where it's you mingle and we mix and we're taking off the pressure of you even having to worry about all the questions and having um, the experience of someone that's tip certified, actually pouring, managing and regulating the experience, but also elevating it by having such great energy in the room.
0: I wonder something that strikes me as you talk about the business that I'd love to hear you riff on a little bit is like, especially in Boston, like, all you hear about are SaaS businesses and subscription revenue, and like I would think that after you get to install one of your bartenders at a company and the experience is great, the model looks very similar, right? I mean, it's like, why would they? If they have a great experience, why would they use anybody else to to do any of their events? Was that intentional or did you just like have it happen and be like, holy shit, there's, these people are going to do 10 of these a year.
1: Yeah, no, I think it it is very intentional. Um, When you have a great experience, why go elsewhere? Right. I mean that, that wouldn't make sense. And I think it's a big reason why we have such a high LTV. I mean, we have 65% returning customers and and returning to us is uh, defined as three or more events. Right. And when you, When you really understand what that company is looking for and they feel that the bartender becomes part of the team. I mean, we do Dropbox every Friday and they gave the same bartender bartends every single Friday. They gave him a key card. He's part of the team. He knows every single person by name. They know him by name. I mean, he they they invited him to their um, to their, uh, company outing. Um, you know, they invited him to their holiday party, not to bartend to like legitimately become part of the team. And so, so cool. and so when you, when you really connect on that level and they feel like they're part of the team and taking the stress off of everyone, um, it's like, why not? Why? And so I think our challenge is really like sharing the wealth, like, Nobody really does what host does, you know, and that's what makes it so unique. Yes, are there uh, alternatives? Absolutely, there are alternatives, and you can find a bartender through different methods and different means. Um, but we're not really selling just bar- bartenders; we're selling an experience, um, and people want to be part of that experience and they're looking for that experience and they're looking to add someone to the team. I can't tell you how many of our bartenders have been offered full-time sales jobs because they're the ideal candidate, right? Yeah. Type A personalities work hard, long hours, always has to put on a great face, knows how to connect with people, personable, professional. I mean, everything, you know, it's like a, it's like a walking uh, career fair for them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, You're right. I'm not sure I ever circled back to ask the question that I intended to ask, but, uh, so it may not fit here, but I'd like to try it anyways. The, when you eventually got to make the jump to full time, when you were so intentional about like toggling your lifestyle back and getting host to a place where that jump wasn't going to be really painful, like what did it actually feel like to go full time?
1: Oh yeah. Um. So it was a it was a different pace. So in my last job I didn't work in an office. I actually would you know book appointments with my clients and I would go on site. And when I was traveling, I was traveling and I was staying in hotels and doing dinners and then I was working from home. And now, obviously, you know, we work in an office, we work pretty close together. Uh, you know, I kind of helped lead the charge of certain things in certain aspects. So the roles changed dramatically in my life. And so I don't think it was even just the leap of of, you know, hey, I'm going from, you know, a great paycheck to no paycheck. It was more of the sense that the 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 pace changed, right? The the I was now doing something that was going to help me fulfill all my dreams and develop personally and professionally in ways that I've never had the experience in a corporate job and so you know you just you work longer hours you work a little bit more attentively because it's it's your baby and so I think it was just the change in the pace of things because I genuinely wanted to be here at seven in the morning and I wanted to stay till 10 o'clock and I, I like to work weekends because I'm you know I I'm seeing the value and what the time is translating into. And, you know, while in my last job, I was a 24-7 type person. That's just part of my work ethic. But, you know, it was it was a different level. And so I think it's – I think the, the difference is the pace because you're now striving for something that, you know, you put from pen to paper. And if you don't show up, no one else is going to show up for you, you know. Um, so I call it – a uh, you know, a team because you're always part of a team, but you have to be like kind of that individual contributor as well. It's like kind of like tennis, where yes, you're a singles player, but you know, all of our uh, all of our points count together. But we it, like there's no leaning on anyone else in the game. It's it's you got to show up and you got to play well. Um, so it's uh it's just a different pace.
0: What do you think over the past year and a half, like? What's been the hardest thing?
1: I would say the hardest thing, uh, genuinely, is knowing what the next step is. You know, coming in every day, and, you know, sometimes you're so immersed in the business that you got to remove yourself to look five years down the road. And that is so challenging when you have a customer need today or an email and you're 500 emails deep. And so you wanna you wanna answer those, and you wanna get the things done that matter today. But those things are the same things that will hold you back from five years down the road. And so it's it's knowing what do I do today, and what are the data driven decisions that we're gonna make today that will impact the future. Um, so I think that is truly the hardest thing because. You, you're you're trying to predict the future, and uh, unless you have a crystal ball, um, I don't know anyone that can do that perfectly, and so it, it becomes a challenge.
0: I know that a lot. I'm sure a lot of your learning about how to do this, and you know, this being being an entrepreneur, comes from like doing the work, right? There's there's no better lesson than that. But I'm curious to hear if you, um spend any time with other resources to, to figure out how to do it. Like there's really, it's hard to just show up and do the job every day and be able to know that, Hey, I have to plan for the next two, three, four, five five years. Um, how did you learn how to do that? And how are you like continuing to get better every day?
1: Yes. So I'm no expert by any means. Um, but I'm a big believer in your network is your net worth. And I live by that every single day. I, if you know anyone knows me, they know I can network with anybody, and I'm, I'm not afraid to send an email. True statement. <laughs> I can send an email to to someone that I might not know, but I know that they can provide value in a certain aspect of the business that right now I I may need help with. And I think that's one of the really beautiful things about starting a business in Boston is you know it can be frightening to figure things out and you will you just you just kind of figure them out but it's all about the people that surround you that kind of help you through those really difficult moments there aren't there's no one out there that hasn't gone through what you have what you're going through right and so those people actually kind of want to pay it back it's like wow i learned so much by wasting 6 months on this and you know i then became an expert after the 6 months because I learned everything not to do. How can I share that with someone that's just starting the journey of the six months that, you know, I had put in. And so I think, you know, one thing is that people are like, they're too scared to send the the email to the CEO of this company or the, you know, the CTO of that company, or maybe just the engineer at another company. And I think that if you do send the email, you'll find that they will probably respond because they genuinely want to help. And you shouldn't be an expert at everything. You shouldn't have to know everything. Um, But sometimes I also like to make my weaknesses my strengths. And um, they'll never be perfect. But uh, I like to challenge myself. And so does Brian. And I think that's what really helps us complement each other very well is you know, if we don't know something, you know, we're willing to try and learn it. You know, we'll put our egos aside and say we're not experts by any means. But how can we learn from people in our community, around us, within our network? Or is it someone that we don't know and we just kind of have to reach out and, you know, uh, leave our ego at the door and say, listen, I have no idea what I'm doing in this aspect of the business. And you seem like an expert. Would you give me thirty minutes of your time? You know, I'll bring you a bottle of wine, and we'll 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 call it a you know a good switch. Um, so I think it's really learning to know that you can't do it alone, and you have to ask for help, and it's okay to ask for help, and it's okay to reach out to people, and what you also don't know is probably that they actually want to help. So um, I would say that's probably my biggest advice when I haven't known something, you know, I just tap into my network and, and or reach out to someone I don't know.
0: That's awesome. I love that lesson. Um, I guess to wrap up, I'd love to hear a little bit about um, some like short term and midterm goals. Like you talked about, being able to step out of the business for a second to think about what the next five years are going to look like. Can you give us a little peek on what you're thinking about?
1: Yeah. So short term um, is to continue to build out and tap into the rest of the Of the events in boston i think we've done a really good job of getting you know some really great customers that have been great consistent customers Um, but we we really want to continue to define and own this market of boston because this is where we started and this is where we believe that we can continue to have success and then um you know long term is to to really grow and and grow pretty quickly Um, you know, one thing that's unique about our business as, uh, you know, as a services provider and is it kind of a two sided uh, type place is that, you know, you, you have to satisfy both customers. And that's really our bar- bartenders are customers. And then our, uh, you know, our paying customers are customers. And we we really look at building communities on both sides. How can we get the bartender's? so committed to, to, to the mission and the cause and feeling part of a team um, and not just a kind of a platform and owning their craft and being the best version of themselves. And then how do we create that community for our customers as well where they feel like they're actually part of something and they're, they're part of this movement of attracting and retaining talent. And I want to get on the bandwagon and provide that experience for you know, the demographic that, that, you know, uh, that we attract here. Um, so long-term is, is to roll, to stay true to that. Um, because that's really what we embody and that's who we want to be in the market and roll that out to cities efficiently and understand that each community may be a little different. Um, but uh, learn how to really empower and embody what those communities have to offer and helping people continue to feel part of that and be part of the bigger mission and be part of the bigger vision. And, um, yeah. Make everyone happy by having a drink.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. If, um, if people want to find out more about host or connect with you, where should they go?
1: Yeah. So they can email me. Um, like I said, I'm, a, I'm an open book. Um, Michelle at hostdrinks.com. Um, they can go on our website, which actually is going to be revamped in the next week or so it'll be launched and live, cool. which is really exciting. And um, or they can contact hello at hostranks dot uh, com, or they can follow us on Instagram and uh, watch our journey and, and watch our story a little bit. Uh, we try and post some live events to just show the experience a little bit. Um, and that's just a hosts events app. That's that's our that's our little handle.
0: Cool. Well, thank you for doing this. And I think um, the last thing I want to say is like. I'm really proud of you and inspired by like every time I get a chance to spend time with you, I leave like wanting to go run through walls and do hard shit. So thank you very much. And uh, I appreciate you coming on. I
1: love that. That makes me so happy. And thanks so much for having me. Um, and uh, to anyone out there, you know, you're not going to have all the answers, but just keep pushing through and keep running through walls and you'll always figure it out. Nothing hard. Nothing hard is nothing. Nothing easy is rewarding. Everything hard is actually uh, where you find and see a lot of reward. So uh, it's worth it. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye.